Welcome to this special episode of the Divine Lantern. Thanks for joining us. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm Jonathan from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth of New South Wales, your host for this week. We start this special episode with the Epistle and Gospel reading for the Feast of the Transfiguration. This will be followed by a reading from one of the Holy Fathers of the Church. We hope you enjoy the podcast. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The reading from the second epistle of St. Peter. Brethren, be the more zealous to confirm your call and election, for if you do this, you will never fall. So there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to arouse you by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And I will see to it that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, And we have the prophetic word made surer. You will do well to pay attention to this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If thou wilt, I will make three booths, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking, when lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the disciples heard this, 
they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Glory to you, O Lord, glory to you. The Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord, God and Saviour Jesus Christ is one of the most important events recorded in the Gospels and is celebrated each year on August 6. The feast commemorates the transfiguration or metamorphosis of Christ on Mount Tabor when he appeared before the Apostles Peter, James and John. This event came at a critical point in Jesus' ministry as he was beginning his journey to Jerusalem. He would soon experience the humiliation, suffering and death of the cross. However, the glorious light of the resurrection was revealed to strengthen his disciples for the trials they would soon experience. The feast also points to the second coming of our Lord and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God when all of creation will be transfigured and filled with light. The event of the transfiguration is recorded in three of the four Gospels, Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 9, Mark chapter 9 verses 2 to 8 and Luke chapter 9 verses 28 to 36. Jesus took the apostles Peter, James and John with him up upon a mountain and while they were on the mountain Jesus was transfigured. In the Gospel of Matthew he writes that his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as snow and behold there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. St. John Maximovich of Shanghai explains that Christ, who maintained the likeness of a man, manifested the beauty and glory of his divinity on that mountain so the apostles might know of it, and that the world will learn of it through them. The Feast of the Transfiguration is important for Orthodox Christians in the way it points towards our fate as children of God. 
St. John says, To the degree that man purifies himself of sin and comes closer to God, the glory of God is ever more clearly reflected in him. When a person's earthly struggles are over, the degree of likeness they have achieved is finally and permanently sealed. When the eternal kingdom comes and all people are resurrected, their souls are united with their bodies. And as Christ says in Matthew chapter 12, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Metropolitan Anthony Bloom of Suros explains that the light with which Jesus shone on Mount Tabor is the uncreated light of God himself, a manifestation of theosis or deification. Not only will all the just be deified at the end of time, but the entire physical cosmos will also be set free from corruption and decay. He goes on to say that, He, in a shrouded manner, is revealed to us all the greatness, all the significance not only of man, but of the material world itself, of its indescribable potential, not only earthly and transitory, but also eternal and divine. It has been deduced that Christ's transfiguration took place at the time of the Jewish festival of booths, which likely relates to Peter's offer to make booths for Jesus, Elijah and Moses. This celebration was a feast of the dwelling of God with men, and the transfiguration of Christ reveals how this dwelling takes place in and through the Messiah, the Son of God in human flesh. The transfiguration feast we celebrate today can be seen as the New Testament fulfillment of an Old Testament feast, a bit like Passover's connection with Pascha. Let's now take a moment to also unpack the presence of Moses and Elijah at this event in the Bible, because it's a crucial element to understanding and celebrating the feast. Moses and Elijah are not only considered to be the greatest figures of the Old Testament, in this feast they represent the Old Testament itself. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says that Christ is a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Well here, Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. It is also widely understood that these figures stand for the living and dead. Moses died and his burial place is known, while Elijah was taken alive into heaven so as to appear again to announce the time of God's salvation in Christ. By appearing with Jesus on the mountain, Moses and Elijah show that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord of all creation, of the old and to whom the Father himself bears witness and is well pleased. In his homily on the topic of the Transfiguration Feast, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom implores that if we attentively and seriously accept what is revealed to us here, we must change as profoundly as we can our attitude toward everything visible, toward everything tangible, not only toward humanity, not only toward man, but toward his very flesh, and not only toward human flesh, but toward everything around him that is physically perceptible, tangible and visible. Everything is called to become the place of dwelling of the Lord's grace. Everything is called to be at some time, at the end of time, drawn into that glory and to shine forth with that glory. Thou wast transfigured upon the mountain, O Christ our God. And thy disciples beheld thy glory As far as they were able so to do That when they saw thee crucified 
They might know that thy suffering was voluntary and might proclaim unto the world that thou art truly the brightness of the Father. Except from the Sermon of the Transfiguration by Saint Ephraim the Syrian. The facts themselves bear witness and his divine acts of power teach those who doubt that he is true God and his sufferings show that he is true man. And if those who are feeble in understanding are not fully assured, they will pay the penalty on his dread day. If he was not flesh, why was Mary introduced at all? And if he was not God, whom was Gabriel calling Lord? If he was not flesh, who was lying in the manger? And if he was not God, whom did the angels come down and glorify? If he was not flesh, who was wrapped in swaddling clothes? And if he was not God, whom did the shepherds worship? If he was not flesh, whom did Joseph circumcise? And if he was not God, in whose honor did the stars speed through the heavens? If he was not flesh, whom did Mary suckle? And if he was not God, to whom did the Magi offer gifts? If he was not flesh, whom did Simeon carry in his arms? And if he was not God, to whom did he say, Let me depart in peace? If he was not flesh, whom did Joseph take and flee into Egypt? And if he was not God, in whom were the words, Out of Egypt have I called my son fulfilled? If he was not flesh, whom did John baptize? And if he was not God, to whom did the Father from heaven say, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased? If he was not flesh, who fasted and hungered in the desert? And if he was not God, whom did the angels come down and serve? If he was not flesh, who was invited to the wedding in Cana of Galilee? And if he was not God, who turned the water into wine? If he was not flesh, in whose hands were the loaves? And if he was not God, who satisfied crowds and thousands in the desert, not counting women and children, from five loaves and two fishes? If he was not flesh, who fell asleep in the boat? And if he was not God, who rebuked the winds and the sea? If he was not flesh, with whom did Simon the Pharisee eat? And if he was not God, who pardoned the offenses of the sinful woman? If he was not flesh, who sat by the well, worn out by the journey? And if he was not God, who gave living water to the woman of Samaria and reprehended her because she had had five husbands? If he was not flesh, who wore human garments? And if he was not God, who did acts of power and wonders? If he was not flesh, who spat on the ground and made clay? And if he was not God, who through the clay compelled the eyes to see? If he was not flesh, who wept at Lazarus's grave? And if he was not God, who by his command brought one out four days dead? If he was not flesh, who sat on the fall? And if he was not God, whom did the crowds go out to meet with glory? If he was not flesh, whom did the Jews arrest? And if he was not God, who gave an order to the earth and threw them onto their faces? 
if he was not flesh, who was struck with a blow? And if he was not God, who cured the ear that had been cut off by Peter and restored it to its place? If he was not flesh, who received spittings on his face? And if he was not God, who breathed the Holy Spirit into the faces of his apostles? If he was not flesh, who stood before Pilate at the judgment seat? And if he was not God, who made Pilate's wife afraid by a dream? If he was not flesh, whose garments did the soldiers strip off and divide? And if he was not God, how was the sun darkened at the cross? If he was not flesh, who was hung on the cross? And if he was not God, who shook the earth from its foundations? If he was not flesh, whose hands and feet were transfixed by nails? And if he was not God, how was the veil of the temple rent, the rocks broken and the graves opened? If he was not flesh, who cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And if he was not God, who said, Father, forgive them? If he was not flesh, who was hung on a cross with the thieves? And if he was not God, how did he say to the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise? If he was not flesh, to whom did they offer vinegar and gall? And if he was not God, on hearing whose voice did Hades tremble? If he was not flesh, whose side did the lance pierce, and blood and water came out? And if he was not God, who smashed the gates of Hades, and tore apart its bonds? And at whose command did the imprisoned dead come out? If he was not flesh, whom did the apostles see in the upper room? And if he was not God, how did he enter when the doors were shut? If he was not flesh, the marks of the nails and the lance in whose hands and in whose side did Thomas handle? And if he was not God, to whom did he cry out, My Lord and my God? If he was not flesh, who ate by the sea of Tiberias? And if he was not God, at whose command was the net filled? If he was not flesh, whom did the apostles and angels see being taken up into heaven? And if he was not God, to whom was heaven opened? Whom did the powers worship in fear, and whom did the Father invite to sit at my right hand? As David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. If he was not God and man, our salvation is a lie, and the words of the prophets are lies. But the prophets spoke the truth, and their testimonies were not lies. The Holy Spirit spoke through them what they had been commanded. Oh uh-huh.
St. Gregory Palamas's homily on the Transfiguration. Thus the light of the transfiguration of the Lord is not something that comes to be and then vanishes, nor is it subject to the sensory faculties, although it was contemplated by corporeal eyes for a short while upon an inconsequential mountaintop. But the initiates of the mystery, the disciples of the Lord, at this time passed beyond mere flesh into spirit through a transformation of their senses, effectualized within them by the Spirit, and in such a way that they beheld what, and to what extent, the Divine Spirit had wrought blessedness in them to behold the ineffable light. Those not grasping this point have conjectured that the chosen from among the apostles beheld the light of the transfiguration of the Lord by a sensual and creaturely faculty, and through this they attempt to reduce to a creaturely level, as something created, not only this light, the kingdom and the glory of God, but also the power of the Divine Spirit, through whom it is met for divine mysteries to be revealed. In all likelihood, such persons have not heeded the words of the Apostle Paul, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, what things God has prepared for those who love him. But to us God has revealed them through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So with the onset of the eighth day, the Lord taking Peter, James and John, went up on the mount to pray. He always prayed alone, withdrawing from everyone, even from the apostles themselves. As for example, when with the five loaves and two fishes, he fed the five thousand men, besides women and children. Or, taking with him those who excelled others, as at the approach of his saving passion, when he said to the other disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he took with him Peter, James and John. But in our instance right here and now, having taken only these same three, the Lord led them up onto a high mountain by themselves and was transfigured before them, that is to say, before their very eyes. What does it mean to say he was transfigured? asks the golden mouthed theologian St. John Chrysostom. He answers this by saying, it revealed something of his divinity to them, as much and in so far as they were able to apprehend it, and it showed the indwelling of God within him. The evangelist Luke says, And as he prayed, his countenance was altered. And from the evangelist Matthew we read, And his face shone as the sun. But the evangelist said this, not in the context that this light be thought of as subsistent for the senses, rather, it is to show that Christ God, for those living and contemplating by the Spirit, is the same as the Son is for those living in the flesh and contemplating by the senses. Therefore, some other light for the knowing the divinity is not necessary for those who are enriched by the divine gifts. That same inscrutable light shone and was mysteriously manifest to the apostles and the foremost of the prophets at that moment when the Lord was praying. This shows that what brought forth this blessed sight was prayer, and that the radiance occurred and was manifest by uniting the mind with God, and that it is granted to all who, with constant exercise in efforts of virtue and prayer, strive with their mind towards God. True beauty, essentially, can be contemplated only with a purified mind. To gaze upon its luminance assumes a sort of participation in it, as though some bright ray etches itself onto the face. 
Even the face of Moses was illumined by his association with God. Do you not know that Moses was transfigured when he went up to the mountain, and there beheld the glory of God? But he, Moses, did not effect this, but rather he underwent a transfiguration. However, our Lord Jesus Christ possessed that light himself. In this regard, actually, he did not need prayer for his flesh to radiate with the divine light. It was but to show from whence that light descends upon the saints of God, and how to contemplate it. For it is written that even the saints will shine forth like the sun, which is to say, entirely permeated by divine light as they gaze upon Christ, divinely and inexpressibly shining forth his radiance, issuing from his divine nature. On Mount Tabor it was manifest also in his flesh, by the reason of the hypostatic union, the union of the two perfect natures, divine and human, within the divine person, hypostas, of Christ, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. The Fourth Ecumenical Council at Chalcedon defined this hypostatic union of Christ's two natures, divine and human, as without mingling, without change, without division, without separation. We believe that the transfiguration he manifested not some other sort of light, but only that which was concealed beneath his fleshly exterior. This light was the light of the divine nature, and as such, it was uncreated and divine. So also, in the teachings of the fathers, Jesus Christ was transfigured on the mount, not taking upon himself something new, nor being changed into something new, nor something which formerly he did not possess. Rather, it was to show his disciples that which he already was, opening their eyes and bringing them from blindness to sight. Thus, this light is not a light of the senses, and those contemplating it did not simply see with sensual eyes, but rather they are changed by the power of the Divine Spirit. They were transformed, and only in this way did they see the transformation taking place amidst the very assumption of our perishability, with the deification through union with the Word of God in place of this. Hence it is clear that the light of Tabor was the Divine Light, and the Evangelist John, inspired by Divine Revelation, says clearly that the future eternal and enduring city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God lights it up, and the Lamb will be its lamp. Let us not tire our attention with the furthermost interpretations of the words of the Gospel. We shall believe thus, as those same ones have taught us, who themselves were enlightened by the Lord himself, in so far as they alone know this well, the mysteries of God, in the words of a prophet, are known to God alone and his perpetual proximity. Let us, considering the mystery of the transfiguration of the Lord in accord with their teachings, strive to be illumined by this light ourselves and encourage in ourselves love and striving towards the unfading glory and beauty, purifying our spiritual eyes of worldly thoughts and refraining from perishable and quickly passing delights and beauty which darken the garb of the soul and lead to the fire of Gehenna, an everlasting darkness. Let us be freed from these by the illumination and knowledge of the incorporeal and ever-existing light of our Saviour, transfigured on Tabor, in His glory and of His Father from all eternity, and His life-creating Spirit, whom are one radiance, one Godhead, and glory, and kingdom, and power, now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen.
Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of The Divine Lantern. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and share it with your family and friends. A reminder that this Friday, August the 5th, we have the Vespers for the Transfiguration, which will be held at St. Michael and Gabriel Church in Ryde at 7pm. We hope to see you there.